0: When God sent Moses to Pharaoh with the demand that he let his people go, he told Moses in advance that Pharaoh would not listen and that God would harden Pharaoh's heart so that Pharaoh would not let the people go, allowing God to visit even more plagues on the Egyptians. And in essence, that almost sounds like God is overriding Pharaoh's free will, which does not sound like something a just God would do. Also, why did God choose those specific ten plagues to torment the people of Egypt until they let the Israelites go? Did God just pick those plagues out randomly, or was there something more intentional behind them? Well, I believe there were, and I believe it has everything to do with the supernatural worldview, and we're going to talk about that in this week's episode of the Faith by Reason podcast. Welcome to the podcast. The website behind it all is faithbyreason.net. There you will find the blog and our podcast and our social media and all kinds of great information, so please go there. Also, uh, be sure to subscribe to Faith by Reason by putting your email into the right navigation bar and you will get alerts every time a new blog or podcast is published. And this week we are doing a continuing a deep dive into the events of the fourth dispensation or the dispensation of the patriarchs. The patriarchs are Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and, of course, the nation of Israel. And as we discussed in the last podcast, the reason that God is dealing with the world through nations, is because after the third dispensation, the world was divided into nations and God designated his own nation, the nation of Israel, through which he would interact with the world and ask the question or put forth a scenario in which the world would have the opportunity to either choose him or choose their own way. And they did that by how they treated Israel. If they blessed Israel, God would bless them and with the idea that it would lead them to God, lead them to choose God. On the other hand, if they mistreated Israel, God would curse them and that would end the dispensation. And as we found out, that's exactly what happened. Israel eventually ended up in Egypt under bondage. God asked Pharaoh to let them go into the wilderness for a three day journey, just so they could worship him. Uh, Pharaoh did not do that. He, Pharaoh cursed Israel. And because of that, the dispensation failed and God judged Egypt through the very famous 10 plagues of the Exodus which we all know from stories and from our the 10 commandments the famous 10 commandments uh, movie with Charlton Heston and Yule Brenner from way back in the day and also from you know different uh, Disney and Pixar cartoons so we all we all know that story but one but there are a couple of interesting aspects of that story that we're going to dive into in this week's podcast per the introduction the first is the hardening of Pharaoh's heart and the second is the the reason, the intention behind those 10 plagues. So let's start with the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. As I said at the beginning, when you think about it, it, it's, it almost sounds unfair that Pharaoh, if God hadn't hardened his heart, would Pharaoh have let the Israelites go before all 10 plagues were were administered? Would he have let them go after plague two or six or seven? And if, if he would have done that and God hardened his heart so that he wouldn't do it. And God specifically said that he would harden Pharaoh's heart so that he could show signs and wonders to the children of Israel. Again, it sounds like God took away Pharaoh's free will and did not allow him to act on his free will so that God could actually bring about more plagues and more torment and more judgment on the Egyptians. And honestly, if we're, if we're really honest with ourselves, that doesn't sound fair, does it? I mean, would we like it if God took away our free will to do something good so that we would do something evil so that God could judge us. I don't think any of us would like that. But it seems on the surface that that's what God did to Pharaoh. But we know that can't be true because God is not unjust. God is justice. Therefore, the God of justice could not do something unjust. So there has to be another explanation that actually validates God's justice. And there is. Uh, But in order to understand that, we have to look at, or do a review, rather, of some of the things we've learned about God in previous blogs and podcasts. Uh, The first thing that's important to understand is God's position via how he acts um, after the creation. Remember what happened on the seventh day of creation. We talked about this during the podcast on creation. It says on the seventh day, God rested. Now, that does not mean God was tired after creation. He was like, oh, my God, creation was so tough. I've got to sit back on the couch and have a beer and just relax for a minute. No, the actual language says that on the seventh day, God ceased activity. He seeks his activity specifically. He ceased his activity as the first cause, i.e. initiating his will after the seventh day of creation, God no longer unilaterally initiates his will. Everything from the end of Genesis chapter two, all the way through the end of the Bible, which is of course our entire history. God only reacts to what man does. God does not initiate his will. Everything that God does after the creation narrative is a reaction to what man does. And that reaction is based on justice. So anytime anytime you see God taking an action, it's a reaction to justice. So when God hardened Pharaoh's heart, that has to be a reaction to justice. And how does that work? Well, in order to understand how that work works, we have to look at what justice is. And again, this is a matter of review. We talked about this in an earlier podcast. Justice is when things are equaled out, when things you when you reach a status quo, when you are when everything is in balance, that is justice. When something is out of balance, then justice can act and God is just so God can act to rebalance things that are out of balance. So when we do something good and we aren't repaid by anyone else then God can react by blessing us and by blessing us, he's repaid us for what we did. That was good. And that balances things out. On the other hand, if we do something wrong and no other punishment is received by us, then God can judge us. So we're being paid back for the wrong we've done. And that again, balances things out. So let's put it into like a mathematic equation. Let's say that since justice means everything is even, there's no positives or negatives. We're going to call justice being at a state of, of zero. When you're at zero, your justice is equal out. And if you do something good, you can be at a plus one or a plus two, plus three, plus four. And then God can do one, two, three, or four things good for you to balance you out because that's what God does. God just acts to balance all justice. On the other hand, if we do something wrong, we can be at a minus one or a minus two, three, four, because we keep doing wrong things We're we're increasing that negative. And then God can uh, do something negative to us. Just, um, uh, judge us in order to bring us back to zero. Okay. Got it. Good. So how does this relate to Pharaoh? Well, in order for God to justly harden Pharaoh's heart, that means that Pharaoh would have to be at a negative. So let's look at the narrative. Let's look at what happened with Pharaoh. So Pharaoh starts out at at, at a zero. Nothing's happened yet. God tells Moses, go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go on a three day journey to worship me. Again, as we talked about in the last podcast, God did not at that point tell Pharaoh or or intend Moses to tell Pharaoh that the people should go from slavery um, completely, that he did not. He did not say you need to release the slaves. He just asked for a three day journey. That they go and worship him and obviously to come back and continue being slavery and continue to be in slavery continue to be in bondage So when God asked a question I was not he was not initiating his will he was not doing anything He simply made a request asking a question is not a positive or negative thing it's simply a question So he's still at zero. So Moses goes to Pharaoh. He asks Pharaoh uh, God said to let my people go. Will you do it for you know to the three-day journey to worship him And Pharaoh can say yes or no and that answer Still keeps him at zero. No matter what he answers, he's still at zero. Pharaoh, but Pharaoh did three things. Two of the things he did put him at a negative. The first thing he did was say no. Now he was still at zero. Pharaoh had every right to refuse to let them go. They were his property. He didn't initiate the slavery. That was done hundreds of years. They've been in bondage for 400 years. This particular Pharaoh did not put them in slavery. So it was not his fault that they were slaves. He inherited them. So he had every right under the under the laws of that time to say yes or no. He said no, he's fine. He's still at zero, but he did two more things. One thing he did was he increased their burden. Now he didn't. He now that was something that he did not have to do. Pharaoh initiated his will to make it worse for them. So now he's a negative one. The second thing he did was he told them that they would now have to make brick without straw, which was virtually impossible to do. That put him at negative two. So now Pharaoh's at minus two. That means God that means God can do two things now to judge and bring him back to zero. And those two things were to initiate the first plague and to harden his heart. And by and so that by doing those things, God, God did not initiate hardening his heart out with you know without any reason. He did it as a reaction to justice because Pharaoh put himself at minus two. And you will find throughout the narrative that. At certain points, God hardened his heart. Not every single time. Not after every one of the ten plagues that God hardened his heart. Sometimes it's actually mostly towards the latter end where God hardened his heart because Pharaoh put himself into a double negative situation. Because when, if you read the narrative, I'm not going to go through every single plague. We, we don't have time. I want to keep this podcast shorter than some of the previous ones, which have gone a little long. But if you if you go through and read the of, uh, the plagues, I'll put the link, a link to the show notes of a commentary that goes through them all. Towards some of, the, I think I think about four of the four of the plagues after which God hardens His heart, but He only does it after Pharaoh first ref, ref, agrees to let them go, and then doesn't let them go. And so that's two negatives. When Pharaoh said he would let them go, oh well, no, first of all, I'm sorry, excuse me, let me back up. He would he first of all asked for God to stop the plague, so he made request of God, so that's puts him at a minus one because he now owes God. And number two, after he after God stops the plague. Pharaoh goes back on his word and does not let them go. So that's minus two. He he asks God for something which may, means he owes God, and then he lies about letting them go, and so God can again bring another plague and then harden his heart. So I'll let you go through the um through the net through the narrative of, uh, 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 of Exodus nine through I think eleven, which will cover all the plagues. And if you have any questions about it, uh, let me know. But that's why it was just for God to harden Pharaoh's heart. He, God did not initiate the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. He only hardened Pharaoh's heart as a reaction to justice, to Pharaoh being on the wrong side of justice, to Pharaoh being in the negative. And, and as a God of justice, God can equal that justice out. OK, so that covers uh, Pharaoh and the hardening of his, of his heart. Now, uh, let's move on to the plagues, the famous 10 plagues. We all know about them. We've seen them in TV and shows and movies and books. Uh, of course, the Bible being one of them, but we all know about the 10 plagues, you know, turning the, the, river to, the river to blood and then their flies and locusts and uh, boils and frogs and the death of cattle and darkness and the death of the firstborn and so forth and so on. Why did God choose those plagues? They seem kind of random, but we know that God isn't random. Actually, we know that randomness doesn't even exist as a part of this universe. We talked about that during the series on creation, that there is no such thing as pure randomness. And it makes sense. If you're an orderly universe created by an orderly God, there is no true randomness. Everything has intention and obviously God has intention. So he did not just pick these plagues out of, out of his hat. There had to be a specific reason why these specific 10 plagues were chosen for um, for the Egyptians in in order to free the children of Israel. And that the the reasoning has everything to do with the supernatural worldview. What is the supernatural worldview? We talked about it a a few weeks ago. The supernatural worldview is the having that worldview is the understanding that there is a spiritual realm that exists right alongside our own realm. We can't see it. It's not, we can't see it in our physical realm, but there is a spiritual realm that contains very powerful uh, spiritual beings that we call angels or called ma- Malach in uh, Hebrew or um, Angelos in Greek, uh, Seraphim, Cherubim. There's all these um, spiritual entities that God created before he created man. That, so not only that they exist, I think most most Christians will acknowledge that angelic beings exist, but that they interact with us on a regular basis and everything we see and do should be looked at through the lens of the impact that these spiritual entities, good and evil, have on our lives. If you have that understanding and you take that perspective, then you have the supernatural worldview. If you don't, which unfortunately most Christians don't, most Christians simply ignore the idea that there is a spiritual realm that's interacting with us all the time, not just once in a while, but constantly. But because most Christians uh, ignore that fact, they don't have the supernatural worldview. Not having a supernatural worldview, if you don't, then you have to have no you have no choice but to believe that God just chose these uh, plagues randomly because there's no other reason given in the Bible or or even extra biblically that would give you any rhyme or reason to why he chose those particular plagues. However, if you do have a supernatural worldview, then you understand that each one or you can see rather that each one of these plagues actually correspond to a supernatural entity. That the Egyptians worshipped. So let's back up a little bit and and acknowledge the fact that the supernatural existed, and impacted the the narrative. There, if you look at um, what happened with the with, when Moses and, and Aaron, his brother, first went to Pharaoh, there were some supernatural interactions before the plagues themselves. There were magicians at Pharaoh's court, and these magicians were mystics. We talked about mystics a couple podcasts ago. These mystics are people who are who they are. They are the spiritual descendants of Semiramis and Nimrod. They are always at the court of kings, even to this day. There are mystics everywhere, and these mystics were always in positions of power. And these mystics were able to perform supernatural um, events, or able to perform perform supernatural um, um, acts that that they got from a spiritual source when Moses and Aaron first go before God Moses throw, or Moses or Aaron throws down their, their staff and the staff becomes a snake well the the mystics at Pharaoh, Pharaoh's court were able to do the same thing but tapping into um dark spiritual forces power they threw down their, their um their staffs and they became snakes too and this was not a trick this actually happened these mystics were able to um do the same thing and of course um this the the staff that that Moses and Aaron threw down Actually, ate the other the other uh, snakes, showing that God is superior. But the point is that there was real spiritual, supernatural stuff going on, and the people at the time all had the supernatural worldview in the ancient times. Pharaoh did, the Israelites did. So this was not anything that was unusual for them. We don't we don't see the supernatural very much, but they do, and they did. So that's one. And also something that you rarely hear when anytime anyone preaches on the the Exodus was that the magicians and mystics at Pharaoh's court were able to duplicate the first three plagues the turning their nile to blood the bringing forth of flies and frogs the the egyptian mystics were able to do the exact same thing and again this was not a trick this was not some sleight of hand they literally were able to do miracles now they couldn't do the rest of them because the fourth plague was the plague of lice we'll talk about that in a second and that, but that plague of lice made these uh, Egyptian mystics ceremonially unclean which kind of broke their bond with the quote-unquote gods who we'll talk about in a moment and they couldn't duplicate any more of the plagues and they said hey Pharaoh we can't do anything else you should let these people go and Pharaoh didn't his heart was hardened that's one of the instances of Pharaoh's heart being hardened so what are we talking about here um again if you go back to the the, um, the series on the supernatural worldview, a couple of podcasts we talked about um, where we specifically about Genesis six and the Nephilim and what they were, that they were the offspring of fallen angels because fallen angels came down and interacted with with mankind and produced these beings called Nephilim. And these Nephilim, it says in the Bible, they, they became the mighty men of old, the men of renown. Basically, they became legends, legendary figures. And a lot of the time when we think of the legend, ancient legends and the legends of the so-called gods and the titans and these half gods that we just figured you know these are just things that these ancient people made up because they were so ignorant and dumb they didn't have all of our scientific technology they didn't have you know DVRs and iPads and Teslas so they were just dumb they didn't know how things work so they just made up these gods to worship to because they didn't understand how the universe worked completely ignoring the fact that these are the same people who invented mathematics and astronomy And all the other sciences that we use to create our iPads and DVRs and uh, flat screen TVs. We couldn't have made any of this stuff that we enjoy in in modern technology without these so-called stupid ancient people who invented these things, including the pyramids, which was which were invented. Well, I think they I wouldn't say that the pyramids were invented by Egyptians. I think there was a supernatural cause there. But nevertheless, they built these pyramids that. To this day, with all of our technological might, we cannot reproduce. We don't know how they did it and we can't reproduce it. Yet we call them ignorant. But the the truth is they were not dumb. They were not superstitious. They did not make up these gods. The reason that they believed in these so-called gods is because they interacted regularly with supernatural entities. These entities were not, quote unquote, gods in the sense that they were like the most high god of the Bible. They were demonic fallen angels, Nephilim, these um, evil spiritual entities who masqueraded as gods and demanded worship, which is like which is the original fallen angel, Lucifer, who we call Satan and the devil, which he demand he demanded that worship, and they're doing the same thing. So all these Egyptian gods and they, all these gods through the Egyptians and the uh, Greeks and the Romans and the Mesopotamians and you know the Norse and and um, and Celtic, all these gods actually were spirit and are spiritual entities that interacted with people, and that's why they worshiped them. The Egyptians had a pantheon of gods and these pantheon, this pantheon of gods, they were real spiritual entities. And the reason for these plagues is that each one of the plagues, the 10 plagues were directly maps to one of the spiritual entities that the Egyptians worshiped. God made all 10 of these plagues. They were again, specifically targeted and one of the Egyptian gods and showed that those gods were impotent. And by doing that, God was showing the Egyptians. It was actually an act of mercy, even though it, you know, it tormented the Egyptians, it was an act of mercy because God was showing them systematically that he is superior to all these gods they worship. And since he was, would be the superior God, then they should give their allegiance to him. And in fact, a small number of Egyptians did actually leave after the, um, the plagues, they they left with, with the Israelites to go to the promised land. So that's what God was doing. And, in the in the blog post that corresponds to this, called uh, "The Seed Plot Thickens," and now I'll, I'll tell you what that seed plot means um, in a few minutes. In that blog post, I tell you exactly how each one of the plagues shows God's superiority to one of the one or more actually of the um, Egyptian gods, and I'll, I'll run through them really quickly. Uh, the first plague was the uh, the Nile River being turned into blood. That was a plague that directly uh, confronted um, Hopi, H-A-P-I, the God of the Nile, showing the God is superior to that um, God. And then the second plague was uh, frogs in the land. That um, was directly to confront Heket, H-E-K-H-E-T, the, the frog-headed goddess of fertility, water, and renewal. Um, and the third plague was uh, lice that came from dust. That was uh, confronting uh, Geb, the Egyptian god of the earth. And Pharaoh's mystics were not able, they were able to duplicate the first two. And if you, forgive me, I have to correct myself. I think earlier I said they were able to reproduce the first three uh, plagues. I was wrong, they actually. I'm sorry, they could produce, uh, reproduce the first two. But after plague number three, with the lice, they were not a- able to duplicate any more of the plagues because the lice um, infestation made them ceremonially unclean and, and, un- and unable to perform rituals to these gods. And for whatever reason, performing these rituals and sacrifices to these so called gods, these fallen angels. Uh gave them power we'll talk about that in a few podcasts from now anyway, uh, plague number four was the infestation of flies that was uh Kefri the god of the Egyptian god of resurrection. Movement of the sun, rebirth, and it was depicted with having the head of a fly or or a beetle, and the reason that that was considered the god of resurrection is because they they would see that you know when, whenever an animal died, flies came up. Obviously, after you know doing their thing and, and and eating it, and flies came up, and they considered that resurrection, which is disgusting. But anyway, that's what they did. Um, the fifth plague was the death of cattle and livestock. That was targeting Hathor, the cow-headed goddess of love and protection. It was depicted as a, a, a person with the head of a cow the sixth plague which boils on the skin of each of the egyptians that targeted isis the who's the goddess of medicine and the queen of the gods uh also imhotep which was a, a real an actual person who was deified later uh they, he might might have been a nephilim um he was the the uh the god of of, of wisdom and medicine and, and uh and sekhemet uh the lion-headed deity of plagues who's, who was uh, believed to bring about or prevent um, epidemics and, and pestilence um, uh, plague 7 was Hail, Hail and Fire Which represented Nut or, or confronted Nut The sky goddess And Shu The god of air As well as Tefnet The goddess of water and mo- moisture um, Plague number 8 was Locus That um, That uh, Confronted Senehem who's a locust-headed god Of protection from pests And Seth The Egyptian god of storms and disorder um, The ninth plague was Darkness in the land That Confronted Ra or Amun Ra, who's a god of the sun, as well as Osiris, who was a sky god, a sky god, which was said, whom of whom it was said he had the sun in his right eye and the moon in his left eye. And lastly, the plague number ten, the death of the firstborn, um, that represented Pharaoh himself, because because every Pharaoh was considered a god. Um, there's also rumors that these pharaohs might have been Nephilim, that they might have been the result of a mating of a, a human with with an angelic being. Neither here nor there, but that's just what they were considered. Also, um, Horus, who was the son of Isis and Osiris, who all, who sometimes represent uh, Semiramis and Nimrod. And um, Amin, the god of reproduction. And um, Anubis, the god of the dead and embalming. So all of these plagues were, again, showing that God is superior to these deities that the Egyptians worship because God basically foiled or ruined or, um, or fouled the area of, of nature and mysticism that these alleged gods were in charge of, showing that you know there was nothing these so-called gods could do to stop what the true God of the Bible was doing, and that is the reason for those ten plagues. They were very specific, very intentional, and they were again meant to show the Egyptians the superiority of the God of the Israelites, of the God of the nation of Israel. And all of this brings us into land that few tend to tread. And that is the world of spiritual warfare. I've made it clear in this podcast and the previous podcast on the supernatural worldview that Christians and Christian leaders do not like discussing this stuff. They do not like talking about demons and devils and fallen angels and Satan himself. It is rarely preached on. You will not find very many sermon topics on it. You don't find a a ton of You'll find some books on it, but most book, but most Christian bookstores have only a very, very small section on true spiritual warfare and talking about these demonic entities. However, I have a supernatural worldview. I want you to have that worldview, and in order to do that, you need to understand who the enemy is and understand that there is a spiritual war going on. One of the reasons that we don't like talking about there being a a spiritual war and a supernatural worldview is because we don't want to think about the fact that we're at war. We don't want to nobody wants to be at war we want to live our lives and work at our jobs and raise our kids and go on vacations and have nice meals and so forth and so on and that's great there's nothing wrong with that except if you ignore the spiritual war you are going to lose and you don't have a choice if you are a christian you are at war with evil spiritual entities and even if you are not a christian you are you are part of the battle because you're either a pawn of these people or you are a useful idiot for them or their other you're 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 not uninvolved in this war but if you're a christian especially if you're a christian and that's what this this site and this podcast and these blogs are made for if you are a christian then you have joined a war whether you like it or not and the only way to win this war the only only way to be successful at this war is to have Information. You can't go off and fight a war not knowing who you're fighting against, not knowing their methods, not knowing the reason that they're fighting you. Unfortunately, many Christians live their lives without any of this knowledge, and then they wonder why they keep getting wiped out. They keep wondering why they keep losing spiritual battles. They keep wondering why they are in conflict with their spouse and with their church and with their kids and with the world. And if you don't understand that spiritual war is happening and that you are part of it, you're going to just wonder, well, why is God letting all these things happen to me? God is not letting them happen to you. God gave you the information, the knowledge, and the weapons to fight this war and to win. But if you refuse to even acknowledge that there's a war going on, then of course you're not going to fight. You're just gonna get your butt kicked because you aren't fighting. And God has given you all the tools to fight and win. But if you don't use those tools, and worse yet, if you don't even acknowledge that there is a fight happening, of course you're going to lose. No one has ever won a fight where they didn't know there was a fight happening. All you know is I keep getting beat up. What's going on? You're getting beat up because you're in a war. So with that said, I'm going to use this to segue into a series on spiritual warfare and knowing our enemy. I want you to understand who and what you're fighting against, who they are, what their motivations are why they are fighting against you, what they want to gain from you, and most importantly, how you can fight back and how you can win so that you aren't just getting battered around, battered around, excuse me, wondering what's happening, but that you can also, you can stand up, you can fight back using the powerful tools that God gave you and you can win. But in order to win, you need to one, acknowledge that you're in a war, two, understand who your enemy is, what they want and what they're trying to do, and three, Use the very powerful weapons that God has given you to win the war. And interestingly, this next series, which I'm, I call "Know Your No Die Enemy," is the is the uh, series on the blog, and that's the series we're starting here. It has proven to be the most popular series on Faith by Reason. It's interesting; I, I never would have thought it would be um, when I was mapping out when I was initially mapping out what I wanted to cover on faith by reason, I kind of had in my mind what I thought the most popular series were going to be. I thought maybe it would be about the meaning of life and because people would want to know that or maybe how to be right, or maybe even the series on Jesus and salvation. But the truth is the, whenever I check the status, the, the stats on the website of well, what's the most visited uh, posts on the blog, it is always this series called know your enemy, the series on Satan and the fallen angels. And the reason I didn't think it would be popular is because, again, you never hear it preached. You never, ever, ever hear a series on Satan or the fallen angels or spiritual warfare. And I thought it was because maybe pastors don't preach because people don't want to hear it. But that's not true. I think the reason pastors don't preach is because they're afraid and there's a a lot of cowardice in our pulpits. And they think that if they preach on something negative, no one's going to, they're not going to fill the offering plates and you're not going to get any money. And sadly, that's a big motivation for a lot of preachers. But The reason that it's it's so popular is because people are starved for information. I've come to believe that people want to know this and you know, I, I have a good audience on this blog, but it's nowhere near any of these preachers or on TV or whatever. But why is it more, why is this the most popular series? Because I'm giving Christians something they aren't getting in their church. And that is explanation about who they're fighting against and what Satan is all about. So we're going to start in the next podcast. We're going to uh, talk about Satan, um, who he is, what he is over the next several podcasts. And then we're going to get into the whole fallen angels and what who they are, what they do, and what our spiritual warfare is all about. So I'm sure I'll get a good audience for this because, again, it's always the most popular uh, series on the blog. And I'm really excited to get started to let you know who your enemy is and how to fight him. So um, that's it for, for this week's podcast. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Uh, please be sure to, to subscribe to faith by reason, put your, your email into the right navigation bar. So you will get, um, notification when we post uh, new blogs and podcasts. And I will talk to you next week when we look at the, the, um, the idea of who is Satan and even a more basic question. Is there really a Satan? Is Satan is the devil is Lucifer, a personal entity a real personal intelligent malevolent spirit malevolent spirit or is the term satan simply a moniker for evil in general and we'll talk about that in next week's podcast podcast thanks for listening